Welcome to International Marxist Radio, the official podcast of the International Marxist Tendency, Marxist.com. Join us every single week for Marxist news, theory, and analysis. Hello and welcome to International Marxist Radio, here responding to some dramatic events that took place over the weekend. On Friday, the news broke that Yevgeny Prigozhin, the chief of the Wagner Group, the private military company that have been seeing a lot of action in Ukraine on behalf of Russia, launched what can only be described as a coup attempt He marched troops in the direction of Moscow, and within only a few hours, the whole situation had been resolved with some sort of deal stitched up in the background. Um, Prigozhin going into exile in Belarus, and all of the troops involved in the mutiny being granted amnesty and folded into the Russian regular military. Now, what's going on here? This was a confusing um, situation. The Western press were delighted at the prospect of what they were interpreting as the, the final clash between wings of the Russian oligarchy, a civil war that was going to bring down Putin. But we are now on Wednesday, the week after the coup, and Russia hasn't descended into civil war. Putin remains in power. And Prigozhin is in exile. Um, so what are we to make of what's gone on? Uh, to help us answer these questions, we have a regular guest on IMR. You'll certainly know if you've been listening to the show. Jorge Martin, writer and editor for Marxist.com. Jorge, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure, as always. So what's going on? This was a difficult situation to make sense of. I've heard all sorts of rumors, all sorts of speculation. But can you give us any kind of clarity on what's really happened and what the situation's is as it stands in Russia. Yes, it is a bit difficult to uh, understand uh, what's happening, but uh, if we if we start with the actual facts, uh, then we can maybe work out an interpretation of them. What is actually happened is that Prigozhin, who is obviously the, the chief of the, or the owner of the uh, Wagner Group, private military contractors, i.e. mercenaries, let's just call them by the proper name, mm. uh, uh, on on uh, Friday, on Friday in the morning already, he started uh, publishing a number of uh, videos in which he was criticizing not only the military leadership of the Russian Federation, but but even he went <coughs> as far as to say that the, the reasons for the invasion of Ukraine uh, were not justified. And his criticism was very, very serious. <clears throat> it was clearly the preparation of something. By the end of the day, he then uh, announced that he was going to move to his with his troops to Rostov on Don, and that basically he wanted the heads of uh, the Minister of Defense, Shoigu, and the head of the armed forces, Gerasimov. And Rostov's a major city in the south of Russia, right? It's a city of about a million people, where it's, it's the headquarters of the southern military command of the Russian uh, Federation. So it's an important hub in relation to the war in uh, in Ukraine. 
So he said he was going to move there, and uh, unless he was handed over the heads of these two high-ranking, uh, obviously, defense and military officer officials, he was then <clears throat> sorry, he was then going to move all the way to Moscow, and no one was going to stop him. And he also alleged, but this has not been confirmed by by any independent observers. He alleged that uh, the Russian army had attacked his uh, the bases of Wagner in uh, in uh, Ukraine and so on, and, and this this was his excuse for for launching this this move. And this hasn't come out of nowhere, has it? Prigozhin's been butting heads with the official military brass in Russia for a while. Yes, that's true. He he was brought into the war in Ukraine. Uh, in a more open way in September, mm. uh, September last year, after the um, Russians were forced to withdraw from quite a lot of uh, territory, there was a surprise offensive of uh, Ukraine. The war was not going the way uh, Putin had intended originally, and he took a couple of decisions. One was to go for partial mobilization to raise uh, an army of two hundred thousand additional uh, soldiers, but also. He decided to heavily rely or partially rely on uh, private military contractors. Va Wagner obviously had already been uh, involved in carrying out Russia's designs in a, in a number of uh, countries in Africa and mm -hmm. pri prior to this, in the prior to, prior to Africa, in the Syria war, and so um, so Wagner. And, and Prigozhin, the owner of uh, Wagner, became more and more prominent. They, they were paraded through the Russian uh, media. They were presented as the heroes uh, that were sorting out uh, the war. They played, obviously, a key role in uh, the battle for Bakhmut. And uh, they were allowed also to recruit a large number of people, quite a lot of them, uh, from the prisons, mm. but not only there are all, all over Russia there are billboards announcing you want to join Wagner, come with us. There's a QR code that you can scan. Very modern and uh, and join. So he basically built an army of perhaps fifty thousand people, and th these are now after several months, battle-hardened, quite experienced. Uh, combat-ready troops, which were given a lot of uh, uh, tanks and, uh, and, and, and military equipment, and they, they played a big uh, role. But as you say, there has been a, there had been an ongoing conflict, and I think that the reason for this conflict is the following: as as Wagner played a key role in the battle for Bakhmut and, and therefore in the overall development of the war in uh, in Ukraine. He started getting big ideas. He started mm. saying, "I know how to run this better than the army." He then said, "I'm going to withdraw from the Bakhmut front and leave it to the Russian uh, armed forces, and you'll see the difference. They won't be able to carry the task, and all of this." Basically, it was a, a, a struggle for power, prestige, and, and everything that comes with that, i.e., contracts, money, and so on. I think that already a few weeks ago, perhaps two or three months, the Russian leadership, i.e. Putin, decided to put an end to this. Previously, he might have played one against the other, i.e. the Minister of Defense, Shoigu, against Prigozhin and vice versa. But now he decided that this guy was getting too dangerous, was getting uh, too big ideas for himself, and he was a danger to his own uh, power, Putin's power, and decided to cut him down to size. 
and a whole number of measures have been taken in the last few weeks which were a threat to Prigozhin and his position and Wagner's position in the war, including the latest one was that uh, there was a decision of the Ministry of uh, Defense, uh, Russian Ministry of Defense, that all those volunteer, in inverted commas, irregular units fighting in the war will have to sign uh, separate contracts with the Ministry of Defense. This means that the Wagner was no longer under their own leadership, but it will be completely subordinated to the Ministry of Defense. And this obviously also means, probably, that uh, Wagner was not going to be uh, paid for, for this, but the different units were going to be paid directly. On top of this, other measures have now uh, been revealed that were being taken. Uh, Prigozhin has complained. He has lots of catering uh, contracts. He is an oligarch himself. Yeah, he was originally Putin's chef, right? And it's a little bit unclear whether and he got supplier his supplier nick- of wine. As yeah, well, that's probably. right. It's a little unclear whether he got his nickname, the butcher, his call sign from his activities as a military warlord, or uh, well, from his culinary exploits. Yeah, this is a completely unsavory character who, who, uh, like many other Russian uh, oligarchs, made a lot of money through his connections with power, illegal activities, and so on. But one of his uh, sources of income, let's put it this way, was was these contracts, mm. catering contracts for Moscow schools, for the army military bases, and so on. And now he was under pressure to give up some of these contracts or to subcontract them to people who were close to Shoigu or other high-ranking military officers, there was a lot of corruption uh, involved in this, mm. and he was not prepared to give up his cut in this uh, very lucrative uh, business. So there was a conflict over that as well. And the conflict over uh, the conflict wasn't about the conduct of the war or, or the different military tactics or anything like this. It was just about power, i.e. who controls these troops, and therefore who gets paid for them and who gets uh, political uh, clout out of uh, out of uh, out of this this participation in the war in Ukraine i think that's that's clearly what what's behind it then obviously he made lots of uh, statements about corruption in the military and so on he was trying to tap into what he thought was a mood of uh, discontent within the ranks of the armed forces and perhaps even even among some uh, officers and within Russian society about the war in Ukraine. But that's just a disguise, a cover for his real aim was, I want to remain in control. I want Wagner to still be contracted directly and not subordinate to the Ministry of Defense. That's the content of this clash. Mm. It's basically a thief's kitchen, and they're fighting for for the distribution of the loot. That's an opposite expression when we're talking about Prigozhin in particular, uh, given his uh, background. So let's talk about the events of the coup itself, because uh, Prigozhin, as you said, moved into Rostov, and then he said he was going to move towards Moscow. Initially, he said that he would destroy anybody who got in his way. Later on, he said, this isn't a rebellion. This is a march for justice or a march of justice. Um pretty quickly regular Russian forces were sent in the opposite direction. Uh, There were apparently some clashes. Um, Later on, Prigozhin claimed that he turned back eventually without a single drop of blood spilled. But as it turns out, I think something like 14 
air servicemen were killed when helicopters were shot down by Wagner. Um, so there were at least a few drops of blood spilled. But nevertheless, you had this, this standoff in Rostov, and eventually... Um, so Putin comes out, I should say, as well, and he immediately denounces everyone involved as traitors and promised they would be punished in the harshest terms and they wouldn't get away with their crimes against Russian unity and this sort of thing, while also making a sort of appeal to the, I guess, the rank and file of Wagner, saying, oh, we know you're patriots and you've suffered much in order to defend the motherland and this sort of thing. But within a few hours, you had um, Belarusian leader Lukashenko involved, and some sort of deal was stitched up, and then the Wagner troops demobilized and went back to base. So what actually happened this i think is the murky part for a lot of people because it looked like you were on the cusp of an actual clash and then all of a sudden um it seems to fizzle and everybody goes home yeah, so it seems what's to going me on? that Brigozhin was put in an impossible situation because not, not only the ministry of defense had said that all uh, troops had to be subordinate and sign a contract with the ministry of defense but then putin came out in support of this idea so he thought he had a direct line with putin he no longer had that and uh, the deadline for these contracts was July the 1st, so time was running out and he had to do something. I, I think it's very difficult to put yourself in the mind of a murderous mercenary oligarch, but it seems to me that what he wanted was to negotiate his position, uh, to, to carry out a show of strength that will force someone high up, Putin or someone else, to intervene on his side and allow him to keep his his uh, little uh, nest egg. Yeah, um, I think that's that's what. But then the whole thing uh, unraveled, and, and and he was propelled forward by by the fact that if he if he then backed down without any concessions, he was he was uh, he, he lose all all of his uh, positions. Putin, as you say, uh, came out on the morning of Saturday against uh, Prigozhin, although he didn't mention him by name, but he said those who have uh, moved are uh, uh, traitors. Interestingly, Putin also made reference to 1917. He mm. said this, is, this can be the same as in 1917, when uh, division in uh, the rear uh, allowed, uh, provoked Russia losing the war. The uh, First World War. The First World War. That, that's completely uh, that's completely wrong interpretation of what happened. But he he was referencing the 1917 revolution as a negative event. Right. That prevented the Russian Imperial Army from winning World War. They will have never won. And in fact, the the the, the bad situation at the, at the front is one of the reasons why there was a revolution in the in the Ria in February 1917. That brought down the Tsar, and the fact that he makes this reference in these terms goes to show the reactionary Tsarist mindset that Putin holds. Precisely, that, that's his ideology. And that, that, it makes you wonder how, how, how are there people in communist parties, in, in the Communist Party of the Russian Federation, and in communist parties or progressive people out, uh, around the world who think somehow that, that uh, Putin is uh, progressive. I feel like we should make reference to the episode we did with Hamid about multipolarity from a few weeks ago where we deal with some of these false positions where yes. it's a case of lining up behind anyone other than the US as sort of uh, a new kid on the block. That's right. I mean, I mean there's nothing progressive in, in Putin. There's never been. In fact, when he launched the, the war in Ukraine, which we described correctly as, as an imperialist war of, of aggression, 
one that he didn't necessarily start, that there had been prior provocations by Western imperialism and so on, but, but the content of that war is, a, is an imperialist uh, war. And he said at that time, he railed against the Bolsheviks, mm -hmm. Lenin and the Bolsheviks, created, artificially created Ukraine. I remember, I believe you insisted at the time on republishing uh, Lenin's address to the Ukrainian workers and peasants, where he talks precisely about the question of Ukrainian self-determination and puts forward the correct Bolshevik line, um, as was policy at the time. Of course, Putin is very much against uh, that idea of, of self-determination for Ukraine and the creation of a, of a Ukrainian state, which then joined the, the Soviet Union as a component party. This was a federation of equals, the Russian Federation, the Ukrainian uh, so Soviet uh, Socialist Republic, and the Transcaucasian Federation. But, but I mean, th this is quite clear. P Putin is a complete reactionary, and he, he has said so himself openly. He, his a, a ideal or his point of reference is this Tsarist uh, empire, if he, if he was able to rebuild it somehow. But anyway, go going back to... Uh, so, so Putin made a speech in which he attacked this action by Prigozhin, and Prigozhin had no other option but to then uh, use the element of surprise and speed try to move as close as close as possible to uh, Moscow. But it's not very clear what he intended to do once he got to Moscow, because it's true that he was able to advance very far, very fast, uh, up to, what is it, 200 kilometers from uh, Moscow, mm -hmm. without much resistance. Uh, the air force was used against him. He, his troops downed. What is it? A helicopter, uh, an air, air, aircraft, and so on. Fifteen, was it fifteen? Fifteen uh, casualties, I believe. Fifteen casualties. He claims thirty of his own uh, troops were killed in the in the clashes and so on. But he was relatively, let's say, relatively bloodless. When he got to uh, near Moscow, he'd made his point, and he could see that if he entered uh, Moscow, and that then there would have been a proper clash. Also, troops from the Chechen uh, Republic were already nearing Rostov, uh, preparing for a battle to take over he, the positions that Prigozhin had in, in that uh, important city in the south. So he was uh, he could see that this was going nowhere, and it would have been, it, be better to try to find a deal. And a deal was found. What's the content of this deal? Well, the content of this deal is that no one who participated in this, which is to all intents and purposes, mutiny, an armed rebellion against mm -hmm. the state, a heavily armed rebellion against the state, were going to be pardoned or, or not prosecuted, that those Wagner troops that had not participated in the mutiny or in the attempted rebellion or attempted coup, whatever you want to call it, were going to be allowed to uh, sign uh, individually or, or through their units to the Ministry of Defense contracts and that uh, Prigozhin was not going to be put on trial, but was going to be, be given a way out by going into uh, Belarus. In, in the meantime, it seems that uh, threats had been issued against the families of uh, Prigozhin and, uh, and his leading uh, commanders. His off offices of Wagner had been raided in uh, St. Petersburg, where they found a large amount of money in uh, cash, so obviously a lot of pressure was being exerted to make Prigozhin realize that it was not in his interest to continue 
And he was given a way out that basically involved saving his life. Although I have to say, if I was Prigozhin hanging out in Minsk, I'd probably avoid standing near any high windows or uh, yes, walking anywhere near unmarked vehicles. It's likely that this is not the end of the, the story, of course, because Putin is a Bonaparte. Uh, and one thing a Bonaparte cannot uh, accept is betrayal, because betrayal means that then other people might get an idea, other people around him might get uh, ideas. So it's not, it's not ruled. I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, I wouldn't ensure Prigozhin's life. That, that's, mm. a, uh, uh, that's a very high risk. But anyway, he seems to be... Uh, I mean, in, in the end, Wagner's troops withdrew from uh, Rostov back to the bases... Some of them are already signing uh, these contracts. Some of the units are already signing these contracts. They are preparing to hand over the hardware, military hardware. This has been announced uh, yesterday on the Russian uh, media. And it's not very clear what's going to happen next, for instance, in relation to Wagner's interests in Central Africa. Perhaps Prigozhin will be removed completely. Or there are other rumors that he's created a training camp in uh, Belarus. This is not not very uh, clear. Putin is now Putin now has a job to reestablish fully his uh, authority. He can count on something. He has diffused a situation which was potentially very dangerous, i.e., leading to cl- armed clashes inside Russia, civil war. Perhaps he has diffused this situation, and in the end, he carried the day, isn't it? Because uh, Wagner will no longer ha- have an independent uh, force, autonomous force in the Ukrainian war. People will have to sign these contracts with the Ministry of Defense. They'll be subordinated. And this is what he wanted. Mm. And he achieved that at a time when it seemed like a difficult uh, proposition without much uh, problem. And he will now take measures to reassert his, his uh, power, no, no mm. doubt. And we'll see those unfold in the next period, no question. Now, you wrote a statement or a balance sheet of Prigozhin's failed adventure on Monday, uh, where you make the point that a lot of idle speculation has gone on, and we ought to focus on the facts, and I completely agree. But if you'll indulge me at least a response to some of that idle speculation, because I'm curious to pick your brains, there have been some who've suggested this whole thing was actually orchestrated on purpose, or at least stage-managed, by Putin um, and the official armed forces for reasons that vary, depending on the writer, uh, either to oust the last remaining bastions of opposition or to you know, achieve this goal of folding Wagner into the regular forces, or I don't know what else, to give an impression of weakness to make the Ukrainians and their Western supporters uh, overconfident. What's your view of the extent to which Putin saw this coming and the extent to which it was simply uh, uh, a gambit by uh, too big for his boots mercenary chief? Uh, this, is a spec- this is a speculation. Yeah, uh, this is a response so- <laughs> to other people's speculation. <laughs> I'd say, first of all, I read Liz, Liz Truss, was it? Or, or someone in the British government said that we should now prepare for the disintegration of Russia and the consequences of, of that. I think that that's wild exaggeration mm-hmm. and, and wishful thinking. But um, I will be very surprised if Putin didn't know that something was being prepared. 
Western intelligence claims that they knew two or three days in advance because obviously the speed at which Prigozhin moved uh, into Rostov on Don and then moved to his troops to uh, in the direction of Moscow probably signifies that this was this had been prepared. And uh, in order to prepare this, you, you move troops, you, 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 you prepare your hardware and so on. These are things that obviously Russian intelligence knew about. Uh, probably they didn't know how far he was prepared to go. But in any case, the clash with uh, Prigozhin had been building up for weeks and for months, yes. going all the way back to February. Putin knew about this. And he was just, uh, he must have been taking measures to contain and prevent uh, the whole thing from spilling uh, over. Is it possible that he allowed the, this adventure to run its course in order to find out whether they had any support anywhere else in the armed forces, in the state structure, whether anyone was going to come out in favor of Prigozhin? Well, I don't know, I mean, it can, can be ruled out. But the idea that this whole thing is a choreographed operation in which both Prigozhin and Putin were in on the final... Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's uh, outlandish. You know, things don't work like that. Yeah, the kayfabe coup, as uh, Paul Mason put it in his yeah, latest. For any wrestling fans, fans out there, um, you'll know what I mean. It's a ridiculous idea. The facts are this. There was a conflict between uh, Shoigu, the Minister of Defense, and uh, Prigozhin. In Putin's opinion, Prigozhin had gone too far, become uh, danger, too big for his uh, boots, and he had to be cut down to size. Uh, this, we're not talking about uh, a state official, we're talking about some, a man who's at the head of an army of heavily uh, armed uh, 50,000 uh, people, isn't it? It's never, it was never going to be easy unless you got his, his agreement. And since he disagreed, then you, you had a problem in your in your hands. In the end, it has been resolved, I will say, largely in in the, in the benefit of uh, Putin. Mm. Prigozhin is uh, outside of the country. His uh, participation in the Ukraine war has been completely eliminated, and all his forces in Ukraine are now under the the, the control of the of the Ministry of Defense, which is what he wanted. So the last thing I wanted to ask you, and it relates to a point that you also make towards the end of your latest article. As I mentioned earlier in the discussion, there were lots of people in the Western media and also the Ukrainian leadership who were celebrating this uh, coup attempt, short-lived as it was, as evidence of the eventual inevitable disintegration and, and collapse of the Putin regime. They said, this is the beginning of the civil war, this is evidence of how the war in, in Ukraine has boomeranged back and hit Putin in the face, this is the beginning of the end. Of course, that was all a bit premature, but you do make the point in your article that even though this particular situation was diffused, um, it's not as though Putin is sitting entirely pretty. There, there is pressure being put on the top of Russian society and also Russian society more broadly. Part of the reason that Putin hasn't gone for a full mobilization, declared outright war against Ukraine, the fact that it's still a special military operation, which is a new formulation, uh, is because he knows that that will be politically very dangerous. If body bags start coming back in their thousands to Moscow, um, from regular conscripts, then that's going to be a problem. So, 
Is this situation, even though it was resolved relatively quickly, is it an indication of some of the fractures, some of the fault lines that exist in Russia? And is there a possibility, if the war continues and continues not to go exactly to plan, uh, that they could widen? I will say this is a bit premature because, in fact, the war is not going badly for the Russians. We, mm. we are, what is it, four weeks into this uh, Ukrainian uh, counteroffensive. Well, it depends who you ask whether it started yet. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, they already, they, they're playing it down precisely because it's not going uh, very well. Yeah. But they have advanced a few hundred meters here, a few hundred meters there, but, but, but they all recognize that what, what the real situation is, is that the Russians, Russian forces have had six months to uh, prepare their defenses. This is a heavily uh, mined and, and defended uh, territory. The, the Ukrainian forces have uh, tried to breach through, through this on several uh, different points on the, on the front, and they have, haven't been able to, to, to advance very much, or, or at all. Despite the, all, the, all these new toys from the West that we discussed yeah. on our episode about the Ukrainian war one year. But uh, and so this means that so far I don't think there are there are many divisions in Russian society over this question. There are no uh, there are no fault lines opening, as was shown by Prigozhin's attempt. Mm. No one came out in his uh, support, not in society, not amongst the state officials, not amongst the inner circle around the leadership not in the military so i think i think that's the current situation it doesn't mean that this is always going to be like this but uh, at the moment i think he he is under control he's got the situation under under control and uh i, I even read uh, an article an opinion article in the washington post for instance that was putting forward the idea that unless the ukrainian counteroffensive is successful or can show something, can show some uh, results, which is not the case so far, then the pressure will grow for, a, for some sort of negotiated settlement or a peace agreement or, or, a, or a ceasefire of some sort that basically freezes the, the conflict because the appetite in the West for continuing to support this very costly uh, war in terms of uh, money, in terms of the economic fallout, the energy prices and everything else, <clears throat> will diminish with time unless there is some indication that this is going in the right direction and this is not the case so far what do you think in the context of all this and the increasingly desperate situation for the ukrainians that um zelensky is raising new warnings about these aprosia power plants talking about the russians mining the pool for the cooling um, towers and even mining the facility uh, what do you make of this kind of talk? Because obviously, any sort of escalation would, you know, in the eyes of Zelensky with his back against the wall, potentially be a saving grace. Look, the Russians are quite capable of conducting any any sort of uh, outrageous actions on on the front if it helps achieve their aims, their, their military aims. But I will be very cautious of giving any credit to any of these uh, allegations because in the past we've seen Zelensky is a desperate man. He needs more support from the West. He's now demanding that they should have F-16 fighters to provide air cover for the counteroffensive because one of the problems they're having is that the Russian combat helicopters are preventing them from advancing. They have air superiority at the front. 
And so Zelensky will make up any number of stories. Uh, you remember when, when there was this missile that hit uh, Poland? Uh, he immediately said it's the, it's the Russians. Uh, in order to do what? In order to force or, or blackmail the West into giving him more weapons, better weapons, uh, more, more wide, uh, long-ranging uh, missiles and, and whatever it is. Nord, Nord Stream as well, of course. Which I know we're, not, we're not touching that one with a barge pole. Uh, because... t- take even, for instance, the, the blowing up or the destruction of this uh, dam. It's now it's now happening in the last few uh, days. Like What's happening is that yeah. as as the water levels have gone down, the Ukrainians have taken advantage to cross the river and establish a bridgehead on the other side in one of the points along the cross line uh, along the front line. So you could say at the end of the day this benefited the Ukrainians. So I mean, who knows who actually carried out the, the attack? So anyway, he he will uh, make up any number of stories about uh, this uh, about this outrageous Russian actions now, uh, and the Zaporizhia plan, nuclear power plant, has been has been the center of quite a lot of these allegations for a very long uh, time. At the beginning, they even argued that when the Russians were in control of the power plant, that they were bombing the the plant where where the troops were stationed yes. themselves, that which is completely ridiculous. So no, I wouldn't give any credence to to those allegations. Any final thoughts about the situation in the war, the situation in Russia, where things are going? I think we should go back to basics, isn't it? Uh, this is a reactionary war on both sides. This is the war between uh, the United States, which is acting uh, through the proxy of uh, Ukraine, and uh, Russia, and, and uh, on, on Russia's side is the, the defense of the, the national security interests of the Russian oligarchs, which they uh, feel are threatened by the eastward uh, mo- advance of NATO, and on the part of uh, NATO and, and U.S. imperialism, which, which is a basic component of it, the, the aim of the war is to cut down Russia to size, to 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 wear down Russia to the point where they are no longer able to carry out any other such action like this, which is in defiance of the U.S. Uh, imperialist uh, designs. It's not, it's not in defiance of the, the so-called rules-based uh, order. order, which doesn't exist at all. Uh, it's in defiance of the power of U.S. Uh, imperialism, and this is something U.S. imperialism cannot uh, accept. So this is a reactionary war on both sides and the position of Marxists, the position of, of the working class should be against the war. And, and in order to fight the war, you can't just have empty appeals for peace and friendship and negotiations. What you have to do is uh, to organize the struggle of workers in all countries against their own ruling class, which has imperialist designs. That, that means in Britain, we must fight Against British imperialism, just playing a particularly uh, bad role in this uh, in this war against U.S. imperialism, against NATO, and for the workers in Russia, the main task is to fight against their own uh, regime, against against the Putin uh, regime, and uh, prepare for a 1917. Not 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 uh, this wasn't a 1917, despite what uh, Putin was saying. But 1917 is a is a workers' uprising against war and for social and economic uh, issues. And this, this, this is the way to stop the war. 
All right, Jorge, thanks so much for joining us. Once again, I'll put a link to your statement, also a statement by Russian supporters of the IMT, which was published while these events were underway, in the episode description. Uh, See you all next week. That was International Marxist Radio. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again, same time next week, for more Marxist news, theory, and analysis. And if you've been inspired by what you've heard today, get in touch via our website, marxist.com, and find out more about how you can join the international Marxist tendency and fight for revolution where you are.